We've been able to grow the business around 4X since we uh, joined forces about two years ago. And I would say that that's a pretty successful partnership. My name is Felix Tia, and I'm the host of Shopify Masters, a weekly podcast powered by Shopify, the easiest way to sell online, in person, and anywhere in between. Each week, we invite entrepreneurs like you to share what they've learned growing successful e-commerce businesses. In this episode, you'll learn about the logistical challenges when it comes to inventory and shipping of large products like furniture, how to remain competitive when the big players are moving into your market, and how to make your business attractive to being bought out. Before our show, I wanted to tell you about our free store setup guide. If you're new to Shopify, in the process of setting up your store, or wanting to fine-tune it even more, our team has created a free step-by-step guide to show you how to make your ideal store a reality. For the complete free Shopify store setup guide, visit shopify.com guide. Today, I'm joined by Alex Back from Apartment 2B. Apartment 2B is a hip online furniture brand that focuses on a metropolitan lifestyle starting in 2010 and based out of Los Angeles, California. Welcome, Alex. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so the idea behind this business started, again, back in 2010, like over, over a decade ago now, because of something you noticed, a gap in the marketplace around online home furnishings. So tell us about that. Tell us about what you recognized in the marketplace at that time. Yeah, absolutely. Um you know, when we got started, the online home furnishing space was really just getting going and, and getting off the ground and was very, very much a undiscovered territory. Um, my my business partner, Matt Herman, and I, um, we were in the furniture industry. Um, he had been from, you know, growing up, his dad was in the industry and he sort of just fell into it. And I, I found my way there, uh, through, through other <laughs> means, but, uh, we, you know, we had sort of realized at the time that there weren't too many places, uh, to, to go and buy furniture, um, let alone, uh, online, but in major metropolitan areas. Uh, so, you know, you have your kind of big box stores like bed, bath and beyond and Ikea, you have your, you know, big mall stores, kind of like your crate and barrel, pottery barn, et cetera. And then you have the mom and pop furniture stores, your Bob's discount and um, out in California living spaces, Jerome's furniture, just never really, um, never really a place that, that, that was identified as being directed towards, you know, what would now be considered sort of the, the modern millennial. Um and, um, and there was a big gap in, in the, in the marketplace there. Uh, you know, we always said at the beginning that we wanted to bridge the gap between Ikea and Crate and Barrel, um, and also address some of the, um, inefficiencies of selling to younger people through the mom and pop furniture store, um, model where that relies heavily on, you know, salespeople who, you know, would make others feel uncomfortable at times. And uh, was just really ripe for some for disruption and, and modernization. Got it. So, how did you how did you guys know that there would be other people that 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 bought into that idea that hey, someday I want to buy? I mean, nowadays it all makes a lot of sense, but back then, twenty ten, still super early. How did you know that this would be the future? Well, that's a great question too. So we had we already understood that you know there were some definitive gaps in the in the furniture space to begin with, uh, furniture retail. Um, and that it did not cater to the younger demographic. 
Um, and there was a gap between the Ikeas and the Creighton barrels of the world. Um, but it was, you know, it was, uh, there were a few things that happened. The biggest of which was the fact that my uh, business partner was a wholesale representative for a furniture manufacturer based out of Mississippi, Mississippi, uh, kind of an old school um, manufacturer that he, he uh, represented them on the West Coast selling to various furniture stores. And uh, he got an email from somebody asking to open up an online account. Well, the, the manufacturer, his company had not ever opened up an online account before sold to an online retailer. So it was a little bit uncomfortable, but it was also sort of a, well, sure. Why not? Let's see where it goes. So Matt opened up this retail account. And as he tells the story, he would wake up one morning and it would be like two orders, one going to Virginia, the other one going to Seattle. The next day, five orders. The next day, 20, 30, 50. And it just kept growing and compounding more and more. Um, that was uh, CSN stores at the time, which ended up becoming Wayfair. So uh, it's a great story because Wayfair is such a, such a major player in our industry. Um, and they were really you know, at the forefront of things. One of their major advantages was getting started a little bit earlier than everybody else and really paved the way for smaller independent retailers like us to, to flourish in the coming years. Yeah. Did you, could you just kind of ride that wave with the, 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 these kind of leaders in these kind of larger players industry or were there still challenges where you had to do a lot of education? You know, what kind of, what, what, what's required, what kind of marketing or education is required when you have customers that just aren't used to really buying your product online? Great question. And, um, that, you know, the, the growth of larger uh, players like the Wayfarers of the world um, over the past 10 years has really only benefited Apartment 2B um, and our efforts. Um, you know, back in the beginning, our, our biggest barrier to entry was consumer education, making sure people felt comfortable placing a, a large purchase, furniture or otherwise, online. Um, you know, this is where our, back in the day, our conversations about our SSL certificate were more important than, uh, some of our marketing tactics. So you kind of get a sense of where the industry was then and where it is now. Um, over the years, you know, people would say to us, friends, family, oh, that Wayfair, they're just buying the market. Can you believe how low they're selling this or how much they're advertising or, how much, you know, Amazon's getting into the game. And to us, it's always been like, that's fantastic. We just want, uh, you know, our piece of, of the pie. And um, we've, we've sort of intentionally or with eyes open um, have piggybacked on, on the, uh, you know, on the backs of the, uh, of these major players who are really doing most of the heavy lifting and educating consumers that it's okay to buy furniture online. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's always this concern from, from entrepreneurs that you start a business and all of a sudden the Amazons or the Wayfarers of their industry come in and and swallow up the entire market. Are there moves that, that you made or that, that you would recommend other people consider making to make sure that you're, you know, kind of riding the wave rather than kind of swallowed by these, these bigger players? When it comes to understanding um, how to position oneself against uh, some major players with a lot more money and a lot more resources, I think it's extremely important to understand who you are and who you're not. And for us, you know, I think we had the benefit of sort of having to be scrappy and having to uh, deal with limited resources. And it sort of 
defined our path and course of action for us in a way. Um, we didn't have deep pockets, so we had to be crafty and sort of define a personality and a brand identity that made us unique. And this sort of boutique aspect to our brand, um, this, uh, this idea that when customers buy something from us, it's something that, you know, they can show off to their friends and say, Hey, I found this really cool furniture brand that you've never heard of, or let me tell you about it. We, in doing so, you know, we're able to differentiate ourselves and position ourselves as a boutique and very branded slash curated retailer online. Um, in short, we didn't try to play the same game as the rest of them. We went a different route. We went the branded route and tried to build our own customer base from a more of an organic standpoint. Um, and I think it, it, it really paid off. Yeah. And it's interesting too, that, that the, the, I'm not, I'm sure this is not the, the main motivator, but the identity that you created with the, the, the brand is something that just wouldn't be possible for a larger brand to come and say, Hey, we're a boutique as well, because it's just, it's like counter to, to a larger player. Right? You cannot have that really in your DNA if you're such a large player. Now you mentioned that once you've identified this, identify who you are, who you're not, it's, it's, you know, it's not as simple as just coming up with like a slogan or a color scheme or something to represent that. So tell us about what are some of the key things that really make sure that this, almost this tone, this, this, this flavor to your, your, your take on, um, on home furnishings is like, it's pervasive so that it's spread. Every, how do you make sure that that is a message that's consistent? That's a great, great question. I think, um, you know, one of the things we've always been very consistent about is making sure that our brand identity is fun and approachable and has an air of attainability. Um, that coupled with what we like to think is really good taste and style is, has been sort of our winning formula. So, you know, we have fun, uh, fun collateral and, and, um, edgy copy. Um, those things have always been part of our brand identity. I mean, that's fairly common these days. Um, but I feel like early on we were doing that and really pushing the envelope more than some of the, you know, more than a larger entity would be able to do safely without upsetting somebody. You know, we took risks, um, acted very nimbly, um, to, you know, do interesting things, whether it's like, you know, going to, uh, do an in-person activation, um, at a festival or on a hiking trail we did one time, um, just goofy stuff that you'd never get approved, uh, in a larger corporation, uh, things that were fun and just made us sort of quote unquote of the people I think have been uh, part of our keys to success and staying consistent with that, even as a larger entity now, um, you know, we don't take ourselves too seriously. We, we try to try to have fun and try to, um, you know, really, uh, really, in, uh, um, really embody this lifestyle approach to home furnishings and, um, you know, comfort and uh, good metropolitan style, I, I would say. 
Yeah. So again, you, you've been able to choose a marketing language, copy, uh, partnerships, like where you're promoting your products in a way that cannot be replicated by bigger brands. Is that like the main criteria when you kind of think about, okay, what can we do that's, that's crafty or that is you know something that a bigger brand cannot do? Or like, how, is that, is how, how big of a, a question, how often does that question come up? Like, can this be replicated by a bigger brand? How, how important is that when you are thinking about these marketing campaigns? Yeah. You know, interestingly, um, we we don't we don't take too much stock in in what um some of the larger entities are doing i think we've found that they move a lot more slowly in in some ways at least from a marketing perspective um than some of our um our like-minded lifestyle brands so we usually draw inspiration from being aware of not just other like-minded home furnishings brands but other other players in just, you know, lifestyle place, whether it's a coffee brand or an apparel brand. Uh, we like to kind of, you know, take our cues from things that we see out in, in the e-commerce industry in general, um, amongst boutique brands that embody some of the same ideals that we do. Um, when it comes to, you know, certain other things, I suppose technology is definitely, um, something that, you know, a, a boutique brand in e-commerce has a lot of difficulty with, I, I would, I would venture to say just in the sense that there's, uh, there's so much out there. It's very difficult to sift through, um, the larger companies out there, the Wayfarers of, of the world and Amazons, they have, um, tons of resources devoted to developing new technology, whereas we have very limited resources, uh, to do that. So, I think um, sort of, as I said earlier, we've had the benefit of not having the opportunity or choice to heavily pursue brand new technologies that we sort of have to um, play second fiddle in a way to some of the larger um, entities out there from a technological perspective. But when it comes to a branding and marketing perspective, we like to take our cues and, and um, adjoin ourselves to the, the company of other boutique lifestyle brands. God, that makes a lot of sense. So let's talk, take this back to the beginning of this. So once you had recognized that there was opportunity, what were the the first step? Like what's the, the sourcing process like for, for like a furniture, for, for home, home furnishing brand? Yeah. So that's an area that we felt um, very strong in sourcing product was, um, was something that we had already had a lot of experience in. you know, we came at this furniture first uh, versus technology first or from another retail sector. Uh, so my partner, Matt, and I were both in the furniture industry. He much more deeply than I. And um, we knew how to run a furniture store. And we understood the sales. We understood the marketing. Um, my partner, Matt, had run a, a retail operation here in L.A. for a number of years. And um, that much we we knew how to do. So when it came time to, to get up and running... Um, you know, we went to the furniture con conventions and the, uh, the markets and, uh, contacted people that we had worked with in the past or had sold to his store and, uh, leveraged our, you know, experience and contacts to at least get started and, and to open up a few accounts to, you know, put up some product listings online and start selling some product. Got it. Is that the same process today? If someone were to start a, a product, a, a brand like this, like they, they have to go through a similar, would you, would you go down the same path? Well, it's interesting. I think every industry is different. One benefit of the furniture industry 
is that there are very few brands or recognizable um, recognizable companies within the manufacturing space. So, and there are other industries that, you know, that follow suit as well. Um, versus if I was opening an appliance store, uh, I would need to, you know, go to the major players. I would need to, you know, talk to Whirlpool and, you know, whomever else. Um, and uh, there, I, I can imagine it'd be quite difficult and competitive, but within furniture, there are so many different players of a large and small nature, and none of them are generally known by the consumer. So one can build a retail operation, uh, be it a, a, you know, a boutique one that's, you know, very brand focused or a larger marketplace style one, um, by, you know, having a, a similar competitive advantage to many of the other furniture players out there, which is to say that if somebody started a, an online furniture business right now, they would have almost equal access to, uh, to product as we have over the last number of years. Um, their product selection and their presentation of it may certainly differ, uh, but there's very little barrier to entry when it comes to at least our industry um, and selling product. And you go a little bit deeper and there's, you know, at this point, you know, we're, we're sourcing a lot of product. We produce um, uh, our own. We have white label partnerships with a number of, of manufacturers. So we have some advantages in that regard. But at the end of the day, I don't know how much the customer really understands or knows or appreciates that. And, um, you know, we, we certainly leverage a lot of the same suppliers and manufacturers that many other um, furniture retailers do across the country. Yeah, I think that's a good point. As a, as a consumer, as, as a consumer, if I'm furnishing my apartment, I don't really look at the, the brand of the, the furniture itself, but I do, I would care about who's selling it to me. I, I trust that, right? Is that something that your customers are kind of thinking about as well? Like, are there challenges or any benefits to that kind of mindset? No, I think that there's only, uh, well, there are, there are challenges and benefits to, to that mindset. I think customers, um, however, in our industry, being that there are no, you know, recognizable brands, well, there are a few, well, one that I always will call back to is like Ashley furniture. Ashley furniture is both a retailer and mostly a manufacturer and their manufacturing business is the strongest part of their business. They supply, you know, so, so many furniture retailers across the country. Um, and it's, it's become sort of a household name by way of its uh, manufacturing um, efforts and, and retail partnerships with other retailers outside of Ashley. Um, however, there are very few Ashleys in the furniture industry. So I think generally by default, um, unless customers are willing to, you know, really get their hands dirty and, and dig for information, um, on the, you know, 40 or 50 manufacturers that a given furniture retailer will work with, they're sort of left to, uh, the, the retailer itself to, to rely on, to get their, to get all their information from, to, uh, to build trust with, to be marketed to by, um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's sort of an advantage we've always played on as I've, as I've explained. Mm, makes sense. Now, furniture is probably as heavy as it gets when it comes to products sold and shipped online. Tell us about some of the logistical challenges early on, or even today when it comes to you know, inventory and then of course getting delivered to the customer. Yes, absolutely. So inventory is its own separate, um, 
separate issue. Um, and uh, there are many in our space that have vastly different inventory positioning strategies. Um, Apartment 2B's business model has, from the beginning, been based on us taking little to no inventory position. Uh, the bulk of what we sell is made to order. Um, and uh, a lot of the other pieces that we sell are um, sort of uh, housed in distribution facilities across the country and are not actually inventoried or stored by Apartment 2B. And this is a common practice in e-commerce, of course. It's the concept of dropshipping. Uh, but we were doing it from the beginning sort of by default because furniture is very expensive. It's very expensive to store and we didn't have a choice. We don't. We didn't have enough for a you know a hundred thousand foot square a uh, hundred thousand square foot warehouse and enough um, change in the bank to to uh, to to supply us enough for you know to, to really get behind a, a, a good amount of SKUs. So to present a variety in the furniture space, one has to be very crafty. Now, recently, inventory issues has, has taken on a whole whole new meaning during the pandemic. Uh, just based on, you know, the supply chain challenges that everybody has been going through. Um, it's, it's really a major, major part of our industry so much so that you're finding new styles, new players emerging, uh, new types of furniture, uh, just, just by way of what's, what's available and what isn't. Um, so that's, that's an interesting thing to explore. Um, but overall, the logistics of an online furniture operation that serves the entire country are de- is de- they're definitely the most difficult part of the business. Uh, it is very hard to ship large pieces of anything across the country, as many of us who have received deliveries of larger items and have maybe been involved in the shipping of them. Uh, you know firsthand how 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 tricky it can be. Yeah, it's interesting too. With, with furniture, it's almost one of those industries that that you we do buy online nowadays, but we also don't really expect the kind of free two day shipping. I, this that 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 mindset's not there yet. I, I can I, I remember when we first moved to it to a new place, we were buying a bed and wouldn't come for two months. And we're like, let's just sleep on air bed for, for that entire time. Right. It's like, it's like, we know there's no rush, I guess, as much as other, other products being sold online. But do you see that, that mindset shifting where people are expecting things coming sooner? Or do you feel like there's that, there's going to be a squeeze on how quickly customers want their furniture? It's really interesting. And it, it, this comes up a lot, especially this past year, I think, you know, in 2020 and early part of 2021, where we've been conditioned to rely on fast shipping for, I don't want to say survival because that's very heavy handed, but part of our survival, whether it's groceries or, you know, uh, health, medical supplies or things for our children. Um, these are, these are things that we maybe didn't used to get shipped to us. And we are used to, uh, receiving things faster than ever. At the same time, we also have experienced massive delays on so many, so many items from so many industries that there's sort of there's sort of um, uh, a tolerance that has been built um, for the timing of things. At least in my experience, uh, I've noticed our customers being a lot more patient with regards to timing and a lot more willing to wait uh, than they were in the past. So that's something definitely to note. At the same time, I think I think generally, you know, the prevailing thought of the general public will be that there there is an expectation that things should ship quickly, and I think 
I honestly think the furniture industry and um, furniture logistics has a long way to go um, to keep up with um, with the the upcoming demand for faster shipping and more efficient uh, and more technologically advanced shipping methods as well. It is very much uh, still we're still in the dark ages uh, comparatively to some uh, some other shipping methods and and um, and companies out there uh, and industries, you know, they're able to ship things a lot more quickly. Mm. Yeah. One of the big challenges that, that you guys took on early in the business that you also had mentioned was a big impactful decision was expanding the scope of your, of your, the footprint of your business from shipping just in your home city of LA to, to, to shipping nationwide. So tell us about that. What was the process like to expand from just one city, a large city, of course, but one city to, to, to much, much bigger footprint? Yeah, it was, it was, um, sort of a no brainer at the time, but our initial business model at apartment to be was to operate sort of like a mom and pop local furniture entity, um, <clears throat> online, but in a given, uh, metropolitan area or just some sort of ge- geographical area, um, that, that could be duplicated. That was the model to start where we would open up in a singular city. We started with Los Angeles um, and everything would be within that city. So we operated in the greater Los Angeles. We built our business in Los Angeles and we were fairly successful for the first few years. At the same time, there was a lot of demand, people just requesting. We, you know, we sort of geofenced our website as much as possible, but people in Florida would be shopping, people in New York City, uh, which is currently our biggest single uh, uh, metropolitan area that we service right now. Um, and, uh, you know, the requests would come in. So being entrepreneurs, we, we want to, <laughs> to make as much money as possible and, and serve as many people as possible. And so we started experimenting, realized that it was extremely challenging, but at the same time, the opportunity was so great, um, that we, we felt it was really important to get, to get in the game. Uh, so we opened up the floodgates back in, I think, 2013, and we started taking orders nationwide and just figured it out, you know, little by little, step by step, putting it together, putting out fires along the way, optimizing, learning, getting, getting more experienced at, at the art of shipping. And now I think we have, it's one of the best things that we do um, in our company comparatively to, to others out there. I think it's something we're very, very strong in. Yeah. And then when you do make this kind of expansion geographically to ship to, to more, more places, what were some, is, 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 does it sound like just as a matter of like, Hey, we can now start sending, you know, changing the shipping labels on, on these products. What was actually involved in, in the expanding your, your geographic footprint? Well, a lot. I mean, quite literally, you, you need to work with some different providers and different, um, different third-party service providers. So we, you know, had to, um, find some partners that had nationwide coverage that, you know, made sense for us at the time, which is to say that we didn't have the resources to manage, you know, 30 different partnerships. Uh, we needed sort of uh, one or two, one size, uh, one size fits all solutions. So we went in that direction. Um, product needs to ship, uh, needs to be packaged differently to ship uh, long distances, of course. And there are plenty of other considerations like, 
what happens when furniture gets damaged in transit? What happens when a customer has an issue? If a button pops off of their sofa, certainly a lot easier to fix if they're down the street versus in, you know, halfway across the country. So these are things that we've had to really find solutions for on the fly back in 2013. And over the years have sort of refined our, our processes and procedures around the nationwide logistics aspects of our business. Um, and as I said, I think we're, I think we do we do that better than uh, many others out there just just because we've been doing it for a long time. Hey, real quick, if you're enjoying the show, please leave us a review on iTunes. Let us know what you think or what you'd like to hear more of. Now, let's get back to the interview. And another major impactful decision that you had mentioned to us was, of course, selling the company to a larger parent company. And you mentioned it was as a part of a strategic growth partnership. And that's that's a big decision. Tell us more about that. Yeah, absolutely. So. Um, we were, you know, interested in taking our business to the next level. Um, we had, you know, initially we, we, we had bootstrapped everything ourselves, um, raised a little bit of money with friends and family, but very little, um, and sort of self-funded the operation for a number of years. And we always grew at a steady pace. We're happy with our growth. Um, we considered ourselves to be successful, but we definitely were looking for more. Uh, we had been approached by uh, one company in the home furnishing space that really stood out to us that we had pursued a, a possible either, you know, deep investment uh, slash partnership or possible buyout um, options with them of our entire business. And going through that process was very educational and ended up not happening in the end. Um, but it really, it allowed us to ask ourselves, most importantly, some of the questions that needed to be asked, you know, uh, what, what are we really looking for? What would make us happy? What do we want the future to look like? And would this partner serve our needs? Turns out that the first option did not fit, um, all the criteria that we had established for ourselves, but we were soon after, uh, approached by another entity, um, the room place, which is, our current parent company. And, um, we, you know, had a series of meetings and talks with them and it was very seamless. They're, um, uh, I'm currently a, a very successful omni-channel, uh, retail operation, but was, has, has been deeply rooted in brick and mortar sales, um, across, uh, 20 to 30 stores in the Midwest, uh, based in Chicago and, and the surrounding area. And, uh, ton of experience in the furniture industry, um, a lot of great sourcing partnerships for uh, product. Um, they understand logistics, um, the marketing of furniture. The conversations were just very easy flowing. And uh, also we realized that we had a lot to learn from one another, us being sort of the you know, up and coming boutique uh, e-commerce um, entity and them being the well-established, you know, well-oiled machine um, in the furniture industry. And as I said, we were in the same business, so we understood each other uh, very well. It wasn't like we were, you know, talking to um, an executive board uh, uh, at a VC firm and, and, and trying to explain our business to them and, and take sort of general business advice from those who didn't really understand. So that was the backstory. And um, we, uh, we decided to, to go into partnership together and we, um, we sold our company to them and, uh, we, 
uh, are have been doing extremely well since that time. Uh, they've we, we've sort of set, excuse me, we have we have done what we set out to do initially, which is to really enhance our operational um, reach and and efficiencies. Um, work on merchandising and and um, our product line, and really just support the business and in some of the the really um, Im- important ways that you know we weren't able to, whether it's accounting or IT and HR, just uh, sort of just the larger corporation things that we were never really that strong in. Um, they've come in to to support us very very much so in those areas. So. Uh, you know, we've been able to grow the business around 4X since we uh, joined forces about two years ago. And I, I would say that that's a pretty successful partnership. Yeah. So you you approached by these these two buyers. They, they, they sounded serious. What, what do you think makes a business attractive to buyers if someone is also maybe in a position where they're like, you know, I'm looking to to look for a partner, how do you make sure, I guess maybe in your situation, how do you make sure that your business looks attractive to, to, to a parent company coming in and, and, and buying or partnering with you? Yeah, that's a great question. I think, you know, we had a lot to offer um, in many ways and in some ways uh, maybe less to offer than, than other companies that perhaps they were looking um uh, to, to bring into their fold or that other companies would be looking at. Um, we certainly were not the biggest, um, operation at the time. Uh, we didn't have, you know, insane, uh, sales and profitability numbers, although we, we were, you know, a very profitable business at the time, which was, it would be attracting, uh, attractive to anybody, I, I suppose, <laughs> looking, um, but we, um, I think the biggest thing is that we had some proprietary knowledge and we had um, experience in something that this business wanted to be more experienced in, which was simply e-commerce home furnishings. And um, we've been able to sort of work together. I think our presence over the last few years in their organization, whether directly or indirectly, has prompted uh, uh, many changes that have, uh, that have supported their own e-commerce business and reach. So us having the experience and knowledge for, you know, the, for the previous, um, six or seven years that, uh, you know, in, in the e-commerce home furnishing space, I think was probably the most attractive thing. Uh, and the fact that we were making money doing it was also very attractive because it's very difficult to make money in the e-commerce home furnishings industry. I can tell you firsthand. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, you mentioned that this proprietary knowledge and this experience over the, you know, better half of a decade when they, when they decided to come and partner and, 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 and when you decide to sell the company, what is it, is it, is it just beyond like just the stuff that's in your brain and your partner's brain? Like, how do you, what is it that they're actually purchasing when they're looking for something like that proprietary knowledge? Is it the processes? Like what else, how do you make sure that you, you kind of, I guess, downloaded your, your, your the knowledge and experience so that's inside your company so that the company itself is what's attractive for, for a buyer? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I think for us, you know, our, our biggest advantage outside of just g- general experience in the various different areas, be it sales, customer service, marketing, logistics that go into uh, running an e-commerce operation in our industry 
Um, it was specifically or most prominently our, our marketing, um, and brand positioning. I think that that drew the room place to really be attracted to apartment to be, um, we, you know, have always positioned ourselves as a brand first entity. And, um, I think that's something, you know, the personality, the product curation, um, and everything else that goes along with that, I think were perhaps the most interesting things. Uh, so we, we have always had, you know, our brand has changed over, over time. Um, and sometimes it's, it can be a little bit, uh, difficult to define in a nutshell, exactly what apartment two B is all about. Cause we're about a number of things, but at the end of the day, I think we have a very strong, uh, clearly defined presence in an industry where presence and personality are very much lacking. And I think that was probably the thing that drew them and others to us the most, um, in the apparel industry, there's no shortage of personality and, 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 uh, and players, um, you know, really putting, putting forth a, a different voice or, or brand feel, but in the furniture industry, it's even today still quite rare. So I think that's something that we always offered that they were, uh, you know, they, or others may have been, you know, perhaps most attracted to. Yeah. And I think a big part of that is you had mentioned to us that, that you've done a great job with just trying new things out when it comes into, into the marketing realm, just trying new things out. And in your words, throwing spaghetti at the wall, see what sticks. And you said that, you know, there have been major flops and, but lots of big successes as well. Can you talk to us about some of those? Like what were some of the, the kind of hits and misses, uh, that, that you, that you attempted, uh, when you went up to bat in the marketing realm? Sure. Well, the foundation, um, the foundation of our marketing strategy, what it is today, is based on understanding our the uh, based on an understanding of our customer's journey and the furniture buying cycle online. For us, you know, their traditional furniture uh, sort of uh, marketing tactics didn't really work for us very well. Um, in, in the beginning, uh, you know, sort of bringing our brick and mortar experience, uh, into the mix. Uh, you know, we, we took a stab at everything, whether it was TV advertising, we had some good contacts uh, in Los Angeles. So, you know, we, we tried, tried that, um, billboards, print marketing, um, in the online space, uh, various, you know, paid advertising outlets, um, a lot of trial and error to see what, what might work for us. But the more that we did that and had some successes and some, some failures, we learned about our customers buying cycle and, and really, uh, understood more, uh, their journey in, in, you know, buying furniture online. So we have been able to optimize more and more along the way. We're very efficient with our, um, with our, 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 our marketing spend, um, and our strategy is very focused and, and well-oiled has room in it for, you know, some experimentation and, and branching out. And we've certainly changed things over time. Um, but at this point, I think it's, it's just, you know, the fact that we tried a lot of things that, you know, have worked and haven't worked like for instance, display advertising, um, for us has, is, uh, you know, can be, great. Um, if it's in the exact right spot, but general 
Um, display advertising for a furniture only retailer may not be the best strategy because, you know, you have to qualify your leads before you market to them in our industry. I think we've found that's an example of one of the things that we talk about and we've learned, um, that our customer, you know, is a customer that is probably needs to already be looking for furniture to really consider making a high AOV purchase. Um, our customer takes two to three weeks to make their de- buying decision for a large piece of furniture. It generally requires multiple uh, decision makers. Um, so there are a lot of little tidbits we picked up along the way that that have that have defined and molded our marketing strategy to what it is today. Yeah, I think that's a great point about how important it is to think about that that journey, right? It's not to, especially when it comes to a high purchase product like 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 furniture, uh, but just in general, the way that people consider products in different industries really varies, and it's not as simple as you know copy and paste one strategy to from one industry to another. You really have to consider like what is it that you know wh- where on this process is is that customer, and where can you kind of capture them along the way? Yeah, it it is very important, and it, you know it's. And it's ever changing. Um, it's um, it's something that that evolves all the time. And uh, for instance, this past year during the pandemic, um, I think people the the amount of time that it took to make a furniture buying decision drastically went down. Um, I don't know about all the listeners out there, but I've talked to my wife probably four times as much as I did the previous year. Uh, so we're able to make decisions on things a little bit more quickly, things like that, that, you know, our lifestyles have been disrupted this past year and, and things have, have changed. So, um, I think just really being dialed into, uh, your strategy and, um, changing it and being nimble, uh, as needed has been extremely important, but yes, the, the customer journey is, is so important to understand. And I think just on a very basic level, putting yourself in those shoes of, of your customer, uh, going through the process of buying, um, something, be it furniture or otherwise, whatever industry one is in, um, going, uh, going through other retailers, um, subscribing to other retailers, email list, just really understanding the industry and how customers are being marketed to within that industry. Yeah. And once you, once you notice it, once you know the kind of steps involved, how much time they spend during each stage, who are the key decision makers, how has this played out for you when it comes to the actual like nuts and bolts of the marketing? Like what do you do differently than maybe another industry? Because you now recognize that, you know, it takes a certain amount of time and they need to see this, get this kind of information from you to, to advance to the next stage. Like how do you use that tactically? Yeah. I think the biggest thing to mention, um, in an industry like ours, which is a high, you know, consideration purchase, um, is the power and necessity of remarketing to customers. And, um, you know, there are other companies that maybe invest too much in remarketing and some very, maybe not enough. Uh, but it's a very, very big part of our marketing strategy and whether that's, you know, making sure we get our customers onto our email list so that we're marketing to them organically uh, or making sure that we are able to um, follow, follow them around the internet a little bit and, and make sure that they're reminded of, of apartment to be and the fact that they're interested in buying furniture and they should buy it from us. Um, over the course of the, the two or three week average that, it, you know, that our customers making these decisions, we just 
quite literally, we need to stay in their faces and, and be in their minds. So that is, you know, a fundamental example of, of how our strategy may differ from others. An apparel purchase, uh, you know, I, I know myself if I, on Instagram, if I'm seeing some ads for like a, a cool t-shirt brand or whatever, I'm way more likely to buy it right then as when I'm inspired by it than I am if they're remarketing to me two weeks later. So I don't get as much remarketing from those because probably they haven't seen the return um, in that industry. But, you know, I know for, for home furnishings, if you, if you, if you start looking at a, a few home furnishings, uh, uh, retailers or websites, uh, you're going to see a lot of furniture ads for a long time because they understand probably like we do that it takes a little while to make those purchases. And these customers, uh, will often come back a second time or third time to purchase too. So it's not, it's not a one and done, a love them, love them and leave them, uh, sort of strategy. Yeah. Now, when you are attempting these different, when you, when you learn this and you learn this through what sounds like trial and error, try different things out, how do you know when something is worth continuing to pursue? Maybe it just needs a little more time for it to kind of pan out this a strategy of yours versus recognizing, hey, this is a flop. Let's change. Let's try something else. How do you make that decision? You know, <laughs> I think experience is probably the most valuable thing. Um, when it comes to decision-making in any part of life, uh, which is why, you know, uh, you, uh, a town would go to its elders to make the decisions. They probably walk slower and, and talk slower than everybody else in the community, but they have the wisdom of experience to be able to guide the others around them. And I think, you know, knowing, being able to identify uh, a trend or a pattern early, whether it's a successful one or, um, uh, or one uh, path that's leading to, towards a potential failure is, is incredibly valuable. Um, and that's part you know, one of the things that I'm, I'm thankful for uh, the experience that we've had to be able to make decisions, uh, quickly and efficiently, but in the absence of experience, I think, uh, I think one interesting thing that I've really been developing more in my own mind recently is the concept of setting a strategy that makes sense that you at, at least can go and, uh, and measure against it, um, measure results against what you initially thought, throwing some numbers out there, uh, maybe making some projections for what a new form of advertising could bring to you over the next three to six months, setting an end date, setting as many parameters based on the information and knowledge that you have uh, to measure success is, is the most important thing that one can do. Because then when you do start to see results, you have something to measure them against and you can start to, um, start to really make decisions about, about the results. Once you start seeing them, because you have gone underwent, a, 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 a or under, under, you've undergone a very thoughtful process to setting some goals and metrics that you'd like to hit. Um, versus, you know, maybe taking a less organized approach where you're just kind of hoping that something works. or you're like, well, I throw some money at something and you hope that you see a nice ROI. Well, it's not just about ROI. You know, some things take a little bit longer and they need some tweaking and optimization. Um, so I think setting some goals and metrics that you're, you know, KPIs that you're really measuring yourself against your own performance is the most important thing, even if they don't even make any sense. It's about the process and the journey of, of thinking through uh, what you're looking for out of a particular form of advertising or, or an opportunity that I think is the most important. 
Yeah, there's something in there too, but it's kind of slowing down too, right? Not just kind of diving in. And the way that we talked about this at first, it was like throwing things at the wall, but it was not as haphazard as I first said it, right? It's actually, you had mentioned that you kind of have parameters and have a, a deadline or some sort of deadline, whether it be looking at the metrics, like, hey, this hasn't hit this, the metrics we want at a certain point in time have a kind of exit plan, right? That, that when you know it's a, a time to to turn around if you have to. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think, um, it, you know, being that this is a, a Shopify, um, a Shopify podcast, I think a lot of the listeners probably are, you know, bootstrapping uh, smaller entrepreneurs like, uh, like myself. And one benefit and advantage, as I've alluded to a few times is, how nimble we can be, um, and how quickly we can make changes, um, and adjustments without, you know, going through various levels of corporate approval. I think that's a major advantage. So if something's not working, you can pull the plug quickly. If something is working. You can push it, push it, you know, put, put the pedal to the metal a lot more quickly as well. Um, the other advantage I think of being a smaller entity is, uh, the fact that you're, you're, you're sort of, you're, 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 you have to be budget conscious and, uh, the, the deadlines, you know, may be set simply by what's in the bank account. You know, how much can, how long can we afford to do this without seeing a return? That sort of sounds a little bit negative, but it can be empowering in the sense that it, it helps you more clearly define your strategy and really puts your feet to the fire when it comes to, you know, trying something new, you know, you only have a short amount of runway to get something going before you may have to, uh, quickly turn in the other direction or pull the plug. Yeah, definitely. So I'm looking at the site, you know, apt2b, app2b.com, the website. Tell us about the website. You know, the site looks great. I'm assuming this is many, many, many iterations in. So talk to us about some of the changes that that you guys have made along the way that, you know, have improved things like conversion rates or retention on the site. Yeah, absolutely. So we we are very... um, happy to be on the Shopify platform. Um, we were at this point, what I would consider to be early adopters, uh, just based on how much it's grown over the past five or six years, but we've been on Shopify for a little over six years, I believe. And, um, we, um, you know, that was a big turning point for us, uh, putting, putting some of the, uh, control back in our hands was, wasn't a given at that time. Um, we had previously been on a Magento website that was so difficult to manage and so confusing for people who were furniture first, technology second, uh, that um, it was such a breath of fresh air to come over to the Shopify platform to be able to, you know, install an app and, you know, be competitive with um, other people in the industry that that are, you know, um, employing best practices or really, you know, having, have a strong, um, conversion strategy. So I think on a base level, just stripping it down, you know, we're, we are, we're very happy to have just some of the, uh, some of all all the basics covered and, and some bells and whistles on top of that as well to support our specific product line, what we sell the most, um, to support visualization, and um, ultimately conversion of, of furniture um, on our site. I'm going into more detail. Yeah, well, tell, tell us more about the, the kind of uh, apps or tools that, that you use to run the business. Sure, so the first thing you'll see when you go to our site, you know, we have a very, very aggressive um, 
uh, early customer retention structure, uh, which is to say that, you know, you're greeted with, with many pop-ups and, and, and calls to action, um, so that we, you know, will have a chance at bringing you into our sales funnel. There are plenty of people who, you know, will browse, um, our, our site or any site. And it's really important for us to convert those people into potential customers rather than just browsers. So, you know, using tools like uh, Privy, we've uh, used from when, when Privy first came out uh, to where they are now, they've grown a ton. Um, you know, we've always uh, been a fan of Privy pop-ups. They're so extremely easy to use, uh, integrate well with um, our ESP, which is Clavio, another Shopify favorite. Um, and uh, just leveraging some of the tools like those that that Shopify is really uh, deeply integrated with um, has been extremely helpful uh, because they have a lot of the kinks worked out. And even at this point, you know, we're we're still sort of furniture and marketing first and technology second. So uh, having these plug and play um, options and apps like, uh, you know, Privy and Clavio, we're using Okendo for reviews. It's fantastic review platform. Uh, I think having those at our disposal is, is invaluable. Awesome. So apt2b.com is the website. And I'll leave you this last question, Alex. What do you think has been the biggest lesson that you learned this past year that you want to apply moving forward? It's hard to think about the last year without, um, without just thinking about the incredible increase um, that we have seen as a furniture industry and an e-commerce industry on a larger scale. Uh, when, you know, this time last year in March of uh, 2020, we all thought like, well, <laughs> that was fun. It's over now. Uh, to see it just rebound and, and grow so quickly was like one of the most eye-opening things um, for me and probably everybody in, in our space. Um, and I think just, uh, you know, the, the concept of it's, it isn't over until it's over, um, is, was a very, very important lesson to learn. Um, and every time, you know, we faced adversity our factor main, main sofa factory, uh, shut down for two months. We thought we were done, <laughs> but you know, customers understood. Um, we were able to, you know, uh, get some compassion and patience from our customer base when we most needed it. And we're able to sort of even build upon that. Uh, we were transparent and let our customers know when we were having delays and difficulties and that paid off, um, many times over we've, we've grown a lot this past year through a lot of adversity. So I think staying patient, understanding it's not over until it's over and, uh, really just trying to assess each issue one at a time and really give it its, its fair shake, um, before you give up on something is very, very important. Awesome. Okay, thank you so much for coming and sharing your experience, Alex. Thanks, Felix. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Shopify Masters, the e-commerce podcast for ambitious entrepreneurs powered by Shopify.